This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. There are only about half as many journalists in New Zealand today as there were just 15 years ago, and it's becoming harder for many media outlets to keep those numbers up as their costs rise while their revenue is falling, in part because of those giant offshore platforms that are getting the income from ads increasingly going online. But while big city stuff still gets covered in our media, reporters are really thin on the ground in the regions these days. Look, I think regionally, had I been staying on at RNZ, I would have pushed for more regional reporters. There is such a gap there, I think, particularly as the commercials have retreated to their metropolitan cause. They have um, left not news deserts, but certainly um, news savannas. That was RNZ's former head of news, Richard Sutherland, talking to Media Watch in July, just before he brought down the curtain on a 30-year career in news in which he worked at almost every national news media outlet in this country. And Richard went on to say why it's important for all New Zealanders that news gets uncovered and reported in places all over the country. If you look across the country, most towns have some sort of media presence, whether it's a local community paper, whether it's um, a a bureau from a bigger organisation. We need more regional reporters because if you're the only reporter in that town working for that community newspaper, you're only going to be able to tell a certain number of stories. So the more people you have in the regions, the more stories you're going to be able to tell. We still have plenty of media companies in the regions, but do they have as many reporters as they did, say, 10 years ago or even five years ago? No. You know, it's really important as a, as a society that I, as someone who lives in Auckland, can find out what's happening in Vicargo as an Aucklander. That, that sort of reporting helps weave the country together. Without that sort of reporting and without the people on the ground to do that reporting, you lose that. We need more reporters in the regions, not fewer. That was RNZ's outgoing news boss Richard Sutherland talking to Media Watch last July. Now, RNZ's own national network of reporters and officers is not what it once was. It no longer has journalists, for example, in places like Palmerston North or Queenstown, and it still doesn't have a permanent reporter in Tairawhiti or anywhere on the West Coast, and it hasn't had a Hawke's Bay reporter since early 2023. Among other broadcasters, TVNZ recently announced a hiring freeze as part of its belt tightening, and radio broadcaster MediaWorks and TV broadcaster Discovery Warner Brothers, the owners of NewsHub, have both recently posted large losses. Meanwhile, national news and newspaper publishers, Stuff and NZME, have both stripped back or sold off or closed community papers in recent years and cut back the number of journalists in their regional newsrooms producing our daily and weekend regional papers, many in print for more than a century. Now here at Media Watch, most of the people we talk to about all this on this programme are also based on those metropolitan cores that Richard Sutherland mentioned earlier. So from time to time, Media Watch will now be getting on the road to hear from those in the media in our regions. And this week, Hayden Donnell finds out how they're doing in Whanganui and how they're doing it. I'm a psychic numerologist and I advertise in the paper all the time. Okay, so you're a psychic numerologist and you're, you're here, you're not for the jazz orchestra. He's for the jazz and then I'm sorting my advert out as well. For your psychic numerology? Yeah. Okay, so, that, so that's... Um, are, you guys, are you guys together though? You're, are you... 59 years at Christmas. Okay. That's and married. We're, and we're going to get married. <laughs> get We've married. just been trying one another for a while. <laughs> are you, you've almost made a decision. Almost. 
That's John and Sandra Singleton, a couple who are nearly done testing the waters and ready to jump into a big commitment. But first they're making a financial commitment. They're at the reception desk of Whanganui's River City Press, buying ads to drum up interest in John's jazz orchestra and Sandra's psychic numerology venture. The pair are buying separate ads, though John thinks a merger might be on the cards. With us, you can either come and listen to music or have your bumps read, so it's all raw. I don't do bumps. Well, you... I do your birth date. Date of birth and date. Or maybe not. Both John and Sandra are regular advertisers at the press and they're far from the only ones. On the day I visit, the paper's only front-page story is wedged between ads for electricians, plumbers, mechanics, vocational training and half-price mattresses. In an office next to a rusting old bicycle, I found its sole reporter, the 71-year-old former teacher Doug Davidson, working on a story. So our journalist is behind you. Oh. It's not much of a bicycle, but it's unique occasion. He's 72? 72, still biking? 71, to be fair. 71. What was your name? Sorry, sir. Doug Davidson. And you're the biker? A biker, but... Journalist. And journalist. Cyclist first, <laughs> journalist second. It's a, it's, it looks like a really functional bike. I would not say it's like a, it's not one of the modern e-bikes. No. It doesn't have much flash technology on it by the looks of things. I, I don't need to lock it because no one would ever want to actually pinch it. Yes, uh, I didn't want to say anything, but it does look <laughs> like an abandoned bicycle <laughs> that you might see on the side of the road. Right. Uh, how long have you been doing journalism here, sir? 11 years. And were you journalists elsewhere before now? This oh, is so. You, this oh. is a late career change for you. Sixty years old, you were like, I'm going to start at the River City Press doing local journalism. I just happened to see an advert. I didn't want to continue teaching as I had been for about twenty odd years, and I applied for a job. And they obviously considered that a older person might be a better fit for a community newspaper. Did you have long connections to Whanganui at the time? Uh, I've lived here currently for about 35 years, but in and out, I've fought overseas and that sort of stuff. You make a lot of contacts, and they can be very important. River City's tagline is the good newspaper. Get it? And its owner and publisher, Debbie Jarrett, attributes its success to its positive outlook. When you bought it, did you have much competition? Yes. There's, well, there's always been the... Daily paper, the Chronicle, and they've got a side paper called the Midweek. Um, so they've always been here and still are, um, which is great. A bit of competition is good. And as a city, I really hope we do keep the daily paper. It's always been the same amount of papers, but certainly the amount of staff has reduced significantly. River City Press, we used to have it like a business reporter a separate journalist and a sports reporter and all, all that. Now we've just got the one journalist that does four days a week. So a lot of our news has just contributed. Is um, that just economics that made that happen? Um, no, I, it's not so much economics. I think it's more technology that's made that difference. You just need less people to get the paper out, basically. Would you, though, if I said to you now that you have to support a business journalist and a sports journalist, and so, would you be able to make that work financially? Or? No, we couldn't, no. We've got six staff and that's probably our limit. We couldn't really take on any more. I guess the wider trend that we've seen is some of the major organisations 
really withdrawing from regions like Whanganui to a greater extent or cutting their staff, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you've noticed, that that there's less investment from these stuffs and the heralds of the world and they're entrenching back in Wellington and Auckland? Uh, Certainly with the bigger papers, definitely. The daily papers, I think, are really struggling. Um, You only have to look at their advertising to know that they're not doing as well as they used to. Um, But the community newspapers are really thriving and we're getting more advertising than ever. Like We try to get the local news out outside the region. We've got a website that people can access from anywhere and it's got the whole paper on it so people can see what's happening here locally. Um, we've got a Facebook page which is very popular and, and that yeah, reaches out further than just our community basically. Expatriates that are watching us from overseas, since, you know, keeping an eye on what's going on in their hometown. And, what's yeah. your point of difference from the Chronicle? Um, it's just all local news. We focus fully on Wanganui and the re- local, you know, close region. We don't have negative stuff that's happening around the world. It is purely what great things are happening in Wanganui. So our um, motto, if you like, is the good newspaper. Like, for example, the TV news is just covered with criminal events that are happening around the cities, and we want to get that news out that there's so much positive stuff happening. Yeah, do you think because of the way that the news is done here now, like out of Wellington and Auckland, and the way that the things that it focuses on, that do you see yourself when you look at the 6 pm news? Do you see Whanganui when you look at the 6 pm news? Absolutely not. I really feel sorry for. People looking from outside, if all they see is the big news media outlets, it's just all negative. It's, yeah, it's probably 90% negative. They're just focusing on ram raids and you know, fraud or stabbings or whatever, and you, you don't see all the good that's happening up there as well. Do you think that you'll survive into the future? Like, Do you have much confidence in media economics? I think the community na- newspapers will thrive. Um, I'm not so hopeful about the daily papers but certainly the community newspapers are getting the support they're getting the advertisers you actually see quite a lot of i guess hope for whanganui a lot of potential for the future absolutely it's a growing city we're getting more people um living here all the time so but that just doesn't make them national news unfortunately but yeah it's great for our city to have that um we're up for the most beautiful small city award this year again for the third time in a row. So we're quite happy to stay in the shadows and while they're doing that, push our own trumpet basically in Whanganui and get it out as far as we can on our own sites. Thanks very much, Debbie. No problem. The River City Press bucks the trend to some extent with its continuity and reliable profits. Community news outlets across the country are facing staff cutbacks as major media organisations, both public and private, reduce their presence in regional centres. Whanganui has experienced several of its own consolidations over the decades. The town has seen a list of newspapers come and go from its first, the Whanganui Record, which was printed on one side of half a sheet of foolscap, to the Whanganui Times and the Whanganui Herald. R.I.P. to them all. 
Since 1856, though, one outlet has remained. The NZME owned Whanganui Chronicle, which also publishes the weekly community paper Midweek. Its editor, Zared Wilson, says despite the economic headwinds facing the news media, it isn't going anywhere. No, yeah, d- definitely safe. I think the, the Chronicle will be, continue to be here for years. Do you think, though, that some of these regional papers, particularly like at your size, maybe are at risk? Like maybe the River City Press, because they're truly very hyper-local, uh, are they maybe they're more likely to persist than some of the regional papers that are like dailies? People have been saying that for years though, right? And we're still here. And people are still reading us and we're shifting into the digital space now and there's always going to be a digital audience that's going to grow. People are going to get used to paying for news online because they can't get that anywhere else. We're still telling stories every day about Whanganui. The way that's done is changing. It's changing with the the mediums, the format, different levels of resourcing, but it's still happening, and I think it will continue to happen. Do you think there might be a future coming where the paper is no longer a paper? I mean, I don't see that in any immediate future. Sure, one day, maybe, but there's a massive shift to online, but people still want physical media. I mean, I was just in Honest Kitchen just before, and it's the papers, you know. Yeah, they sit on the coffee table. They sit on the coffee table, and people want to read them. People still like picking up a physical thing, but it's whether the economics will actually work, and whether we need systems like Hope and Justice and Local Democracy and injections from the government like the PIJF to make that stuff keep happening. I I think at the moment it's a matter of doing both, like doing print and doing the online thing as well as you can do them both print will last as long as it lasts. I think it will last longer than people think. I mean, we have been sounding the death knell for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, when I first started in journalism, I think it was... They were talking about 2020 as being the end of print. Well, we've lasted three years extra. Do you enjoy the local aspect of it, the the smaller community stuff? Yeah, I think I do. I don't think that was my intention at the start of my career, but... Once you get entrenched in a town like Whanganui, it is hard to leave because you kind of become part of the community and you know the story of the community and you're part of telling that story. And you kind of know the cast of characters in a way. You know the characters, you know the the arc. Are you um, going to stay? Yeah, I'm gonna, I don't have any plans to leave. Just like NZ me. Exactly. Thanks very much for speaking to me, Zared. Whanganui may not be at risk of losing its local news coverage any time soon, but Wilson concedes the national news agenda is tailored more to Aucklanders like me than people like him in smaller centres. That means we sometimes miss out on the diverse range of perspectives that New Zealand has to offer. For instance, the country's network of iwi radio stations, Te Rio Irirangi or Aotearoa, is often the only media specifically platforming and speaking to regional Māori audiences. Our FM is part of that network, broadcasting on 100 FM in Whanganui, 91 FM in Ohakuni and Raitihi, and 93.5 FM in Taumaranui. Voice of home, our people, our stories, our way. Our FM. Manako te orokohanga o te maramitana.
It's devoted to broadcasting local Māori language, culture and music, while also carrying local news on air and on its website. Here's former RNZ contributor turned our programme director and presenter, Eru Redakura, introducing a chat with former Te Pāti Māori President Che Wilson. This is how one of our FM's board members, Nancy Tuaini, describes the station's co-papa. So, te reo irirangi o Wanganui, um, more commonly known as our FM, is predominantly there to ensure that the revitalisation of our reo continues. Our reo and our practice of Wanganui tanga, so being Wanganui people, Wanganui river people, our ability as a people to live alongside our awa, you know, our, our waka tauaki, our saying is, um, e re re kou mai te awa nui, mai te kāhui, manga ki tangaroa, koe te awa, ko te awa, koe. So our river flows from the mountain to the sea. I am the river and the river is me. And everything we do here at Awa FM gives life to that. Our FM gets $600,000 a year from the government funding agency Te Mangai Pāho to tell those stories, and that money covers everything, salaries, technology, and all the other costs that come with running a radio station. It also employs one reporter, Moana Ellis, through the Local Democracy Reporting Scheme, which was implemented by the former Labour government to arrest the decline in community news and ensure council business and courts are covered in areas where reporters are disappearing. Even put together, though, that's not that much, and Nancy Tuaine says the station gets by because its staff are willing to sacrifice to keep the lights on. They know the voices and perspectives on our FM aren't going to come from anywhere else. We tend to see the negative publicity and history, if you can recall. I'm sure you've seen in your time, Hayden, there have been times where we've reached the one o'clock news, I mean the six o'clock news, and it's mainly for bad stuff. But we've got lots of fabulous stuff happening, you know, within us as a people, and you don't see the good stories. You don't hear much about the fact that we have reform happening in our catchment in terms of the way people are working now. You don't see any of that. But where are the things that have shown how much we've grown if you take, for example, how much um, our language has grown, the spread, the usage, you see and hear te reo Māori like you've never heard it before, and people don't even realise that they're saying kiwi. Oh, you put it on a road <laughs> sign, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you put oh, it... Oh, no. <laughs> here, we are a classic example. You know, not too long ago, there was um, an uproar because the H was being recognised in Whanganui. And now it's normalised, you know. So there is an ability for us to play a really positive role within media to change the way that people practice and behave by just accepting and supporting and uplifting rather than denigrating 
and demonising. In seeing the world in the way that we see the world and telling our stories in the way that we see them means that you can get exposure, give exposure to other people in a way that they aren't getting from any other media outlets. You know, being able to be mouldy, be iwi, be focused in um, describing our experiences and what is occurring to us, um, where we live, and the relevance of that to our lives is something special. And it forms the cultural authenticity of this country. And without it, we've become pretty plain, stale and boring. (laughs) Do you think that the major media organisations can be a bit plain, stale and boring? That they can be too disconnected from iwi from Māori and they can end up trafficking in stereotypes and sensationalism, that sort of stuff? Oh, I absolutely have seen us be the brunt of sensationalism, be the brunt of the 6pm news or um, the electioneering campaigns and we are um, easy pickings because there are so much um, challenges that we have faced as a people and we become the talking point. But is that good journalism or is it just lazy journalism? Nancy Tuaene doesn't necessarily think mainstream media outlets have to become FM. Her station has a unique purpose and connection to Whanganui. But just like Debbie Jarrett, She wants journalists, including producers from RNZ's Media Watch, to at least spend more time in the area and broaden their horizons. If you could change one thing about how major media organisations, the bigger ones, cover, I guess, Whanganui, this area, your iwi, and probably Māori in general, like, what what would you change? I'd say come, come buy it from us. Come and get your news from us because we can give you some top quality perspectives that you won't get anywhere else. Why don't you get them anywhere else, do you think? They're not as connected to the people. They'll be like fly-by-nighters. They'll come in, they'll take their story and they'll go off again. There's no real attachment for them to the place in which they're gathering that story from. Hayden, you're going to fly by night. And with that, <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking to me, Nancy. <laughs> all right, all right. But before I go, though, I have one more stop to make. I'm walking behind a family in a 200-metre-long tunnel dug into Jury Hill. At the end of this famously echoey path... Hello? Is the Jury Hill Elevator, a unique public transit service which takes people up and down the steep slope overlooking Whanganui every five minutes or so. On board, its council-appointed operator, Anthony Tonnen, is taking tickets. It's just $2 for adults each way you plan to travel. We do sell souvenir tickets, which are pay whatever you like. 
but uh, we keep the price cheap so that um, we're a genuine public transport. So are you going to go one way or both ways today? We're going to go uh, down and straight back up. Tonin has a day job as a musician. He won the Tate Prize for his album Successor in 2022. But lately more and more of his time has been taken up by public transport advocacy. Running the elevator is just the start. Earlier this year, a new bus service Tonin designed, Tungadu the Tide, was put in place in Whanganui. Its 20-minute frequency is about six times higher than other bus services in the town, and public transport use in Whanganui has doubled year-on-year since it was put in place. I often thought about Tungadu the Tide with its low price tag and high payoff, as the major parties slugged it out over their competing plans for multi-billion dollar transport tunnels during the general election. A bold plan for Auckland's future. That's how Prime Minister Chris Hipkins is describing the government's staged design for three tunnels for Auckland's second harbour crossing. It would be New Zealand's biggest ever infrastructure project. I couldn't help but wonder whether we may have missed a trick focusing on Auckland's plan for Auckland's future and Wellington's tunnel for Wellington's airport to the exclusion of almost all else, and whether that's a result of our media and politicians being clustered in those cities. As it turns out, I'm not completely alone in that thought. Hi, how you going? Hang on. Okay. Uh, where am I going? Can we go in the back? I reckon, I reckon take these things. These, these ones right here? That's me haphazardly tagging on to Tungaru the Tide to talk to Anthony Tonin about the opportunities we tend to miss thanks in part to the big city centricity of our media. Bringing in more public transport in the past, um, it has a cumulative effect. It's almost like the more service you give one place like Auckland or Wellington, the more people get used to it. Um, the more people start to complain about their public transport they do have and um, start to have higher ambitions. It, it, it was quite interesting to me to go to Queenstown two years after the um, system, which I was just so inspired by, had started. But most people I talked to and the conversations in the media in Queenstown were about how much better it should be and how it was no good and, and how, how terrible their bus system was. And I've just come to realise really that actually this is a sign of success in public transport. Once everyone thinks your public transport is terrible, um, it means that they're engaging with it and they're maybe taking a few trips on it and, and then they start getting ambitions. And of course, once, once you have high use on your buses, people start to say, well, why don't we have rail or why don't we have some other kind of vehicle and we're just seeing this in Wellington and Auckland where um, maybe the media doesn't quite have the perspective that Wellington has 70 trips per person per year um, whereas a town like Napier has between 5 and 10 trips per person per year so you can get a lot more out of that network for just about zero investment as you've proven here with the tide right well for, for a lot for a lot less investment um, if the people in Wellington were willing to um, to throw a few chips the way of um, Napier Hastings um, then they could see a faster increase in public transport use um, than what they can see in Wellington, you know, w- w- with a big infrastructure improvement. Um, but, you know, people live in the towns they live in, and um, the, our largest media lives in Wellington and Auckland. And, uh, you know, you, 
all you can do, and that's what I've done in Wanganui, is you look around you and you say, how could this be better? And I, and I guess it's understandable that when you are living and working in Wellington or Auckland, you say, how could this be better? And then you start um, thinking about the money that needs to be spent there. I mean, and, and I don't begrudge that at all. I'd, I'd love to see us have world-class infrastructure in Wellington and Auckland. Um, I'd only say, have, spare a thought for us, because with, with not that much investment we could see um, a much greater public transport system. That reminder applies to media companies as well, particularly the public ones with a remit to serve all of New Zealand. Regions like Whanganui are crying out for some chips to be thrown their way. But that cash doesn't have to be charity. We used to be judges, so but that was just another you've, fabulous Auckland. Just as John and Sandra Singleton found out with their ads for psychic numerology and weeknight jazz, in places like this, small investments can come with a big return. We, we came down 18 years ago sure, and we wished earlier. we'd come earlier. Okay. It's art, music, what else do you want to know? <laughs> They say they're only trying one another, but that's not our real Very name. We've just picked Singleton. Our names are not that at all. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on in this town? <laughs> that's John and Sandra Singleton, as they call themselves, ending Hayden and Al's look at the media scene in Whanganui, back where it all began at the offices of the River City Press newspaper. Now soon here on Media Watch we'll hear Hayden's adventures in Horafenua and Kapiti talking to established media outlets and startups that have sprung up in the grass and the flax roots there. And we'll be visiting more regions around the country in future here on Media Watch. So if you know of an interesting media outlet that's not exactly national news, but which RNZ national listeners might like to hear about, let us know. And finally on Media Watch this weekend, one of the things preoccupying our national media this week was our national men's rugby side in the Rugby World Cup final in Paris this weekend. Exciting for us, but for Irish and English fans in France and the French themselves, well, they reckon the All Blacks' progress had ruined the vibe and they told the All Blacks fans as much outside the Stade de France after last weekend's one-way traffic semi-final in front of Sky Sports cameras. Uh, South Africa will be in the final. South Africa will be in the final. Yeah. And then it'll be nice seeing you goodbye. <laughs> See you next Saturday. I took a look at that on Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday on RNZ's Nights with Mark Leishman. And we also heard about the new Prime Minister who'd been keeping the press gallery at arm's length, making surprising policy announcements on the morning rumble on The Rock. You promised mm. before yep. you got into power, Gumboot Friday would change. Money's going there, my friend. Money's going? Yep. How much? Uh, what we committed to at the time, which I think we're going to double the amount of funding that they've you'd, got. I think you'd see yep, five, five million. Yep, no problem. Though Christopher Luxon wasn't waving through every cost-of-living policy suggestion from The Rock. Can you remove tax on woodies and long whites? <laughs> <laughs> the RTDs, you don't have to answer it. You can remain laughing. <laughs> All that and more in this week's Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday. If you missed it, it's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, our section of the RNZ app, or you'll find it for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with more on Midweek Media Watch after the news at 10 next Wednesday night on Nights with Mark Leishman and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.